we could not do our work without coffee. Is that fair, Alex? And there are not many better coffee spots in Chicago than Gallery Cafe. Gallery Cafe, which is run by our good friend Eugene and his brother Billy and just a host of amazing people, is located at 1760 West North Avenue in Chicago, Illinois. It is an historic building in a really cool neighborhood, Wicker Park, with high quality coffee sourced from around the world and roasted in-house. They've also got food. We actually splurged and got a what was it, an apple cider potato donut today? But they also make sandwiches and amazing breakfast wraps to order. Perfect place to grab a cup of coffee, get some work done, and stick around till lunch. Make sure you stop in and let them know the Good Athlete Project sent you. Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. We could not be more excited to bring you today's episode with Dr. Anna Swisher. Anna and I go way back. She has been an all-star for a long time in a variety of ways. Uh, you'll hear exactly why in the podcast. A couple quick notes. She got her PhD from East Tennessee State University in sports physiology and performance, her master's from East Tennessee State in exercise physiology and performance, and her bachelor's from the Williams College in psychology and history. She's a really intelligent and thoughtful person in this sphere of strength and conditioning. She is now the coaching education and sports science manager for USA Weightlifting. We get into more of her bio and personal story in the episode, but we will also attach a link to her bio in the show notes. She's just good at what she does, period. There's another interesting angle to what she does, and we get into that during the show as well. She lives on a farm in the hills of Tennessee where she's got an orchard, 100 fruit trees, some birds and animals, I think, run around, and she keeps bees. She has, in short, an incredibly interesting life and an incredibly interesting story. So I really think you're going to get a lot from today's podcast with good friend, good coach, good beekeeper, and newest member of the Good Athlete Project family, Anna Swisher. You've had a new advancement in your life that goes by the name of... Diana. Diana. Mm -hmm. What has that been like? Um... Start wherever you want. It's been awesome. It yeah. really has been. But uh, in strength and conditioning, there's a yeah. lot of discussion about periodization. Ooh, hear, I like I, hear look me at out. The look at the transition already. Hear me out. Hear I me love out. it. Yeah. Hear me out. So, how many books are there on periodization? 50,000. A lot, know, right? A lot. I mean, there's yeah. like a whole textbooks titled Periodizations. Right. right. So, you would think if you had a decent amount of time, you know, and some interest, you could read up and be all set. Yeah. But anyone that's ever been in a weight room knows that whatever book you read on periodization is useless Ooh. when you set foot in the weight room because now you're faced with like 20 to 50 humans that you then have to work with. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing in the book about like, well, what if they have class at this time? Or what if they're sick? Or, you know, what, totally. how do I? So I think parenting and having a child is pretty much the same way. So you can read all the books you want. You mm -hmm. can have all the like, you know, how to care for your child and the, the process. But until you actually have a human in front of you, you don't really totally. know and so to me it was very very similar very similar experience um, I did try to read a few of them sure didn't really help that's a pretty good comparison actually yeah so you had you felt like you had a decent background had some anchor concepts in tow but this is a daily improvisation is that fair I don't even I wouldn't even say that I felt like I had anchor concepts okay. fair enough <laughs> fair enough I, I had a lot of misconceptions, as people okay. might have when they read a book and what, feel like they could do it. Um, probably most amusingly, that I could just manage the first week myself. Like, you know what, I'm just gonna like go home with my child and my husband and just bond with this child. Yeah. That is not what happens. No. Um, How is it different than that? You don't, you don't sleep. Uh, my child had difficulty uh, breastfeeding, so there was a whole lot of like 
tongue tie and lip tie and surgeries on a one week old baby to surgeries. laser their tongue. I mean, here's oh. pretty common. So yeah, oh, really? I mean, nothing, nothing pretty standard. Yeah. You know, the not sleeping, the that kind of stuff. Trying to figure all that out. It's not as glamorous as you might imagine. Like I'm just gonna snuggle my baby for a week. It's a lot of snuggling. Yeah, I. Snuggling came later, but sure. <laughs> There's some snuggling. It was just not quite as immediate. Yeah. It was rough, yeah. But yeah. you know, that's when you really appreciate your family and your totally. friends who are mothers. And I think there's a lot of similarity to getting into a weight room, realizing you're in over your head, yeah, having a problem you need help with, and yeah. being able to call on someone and say, "Help me." And I mean that totally. that is what happens in coaching. You have a coaching tree, you have mentors. You that's what happens. And so for me. It was a very similar feeling of who am I going to call? Okay, someone who's been there, mm-hmm. who I can trust, and who will help me. And that was a lot of high school and college friends and you know a lot of my own family and in-laws yeah. and things like that. And you rely on them. So to me, it was a really similar feeling of you have to have coaches you can call on the same way that you can call on you know, team mom to, to help you. Totally. I think... Uh you're identifying something that's so important. I think, here's what I imagine. Support for whatever it is you might want to do, whether that's in the weight room, um, as a mother, as a parent, or whatever it might be. Support's probably out there. And, and I wonder what you think about this. I see very frequently people sort of wondering where the support is. Going through their own struggles mm-hmm. and having mm-hmm. difficulty reaching out mm-hmm. to find the support. It sounds like you are saying, uh, not only is it out there, but you've maybe mastered or working on mastering the art of going to get it. Is that fair? I don't know that I've mastered the art. Sure. But I will say it was a strange experience for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the friendliest... So, so women are not always nice to each other, right? Uh, let's, let's say like sixth grade girls. I let, think that's a fair thing right? to say, yes. Like yes. Uh, 14-year-old girls. They're not always nice to each other. I've seen mean girls. Yes, mean yes. girls, exactly, which yeah. may or may not have been based on a high school you're familiar with. Um, that's right. But in any event, it's not always this natural, like, oh, okay, we're friendly with each other. Yeah. Um, coming into the group of mothers, everyone was beyond supportive. I had mm-hmm. a former athlete of mine, actually, an athlete that I worked with at University of Chicago, who I keep in touch with a lot of my athletes, track athlete. She had had a child, and I had, you know, had a question for her. She's a, a high-level CrossFit uh, enthusiast, not yeah. really a competitor, just kids. And I was having difficulty with training um, after I'd had a child, and I had also explained the issues I was having with um, breastfeeding and milk supply and all that sort of stuff. And she said, well, I'd be happy to give you some of my breast milk, because like, she was also breastfeeding and had excess. And I was like, yeah. this is crazy. Wow. This is crazy, right? Yeah. I, had, I had multiple offers of, of, of people who were like... You're like, this breast happens on your podcast surplus. all the time. People are like, what? Just what? No. I promise, no, no, no. Well, I promise it won't be about breast milk for the entire enough, thing. I, I'm more concerned that people will be bored because they've heard this story of shared breast milk. So, so um, There's a black market for it, too, which is, is a actually? whole... It's creepy. It's okay. like $5 an ounce. Anyway, delete all, right. all this. But, um, <laughs> yes. Alex, delete. <laughs> yes. long, long story short, I, I found that mothers support each other in a way mm. that I did not always feel like women support each other hmm. and so now that i sort of in it you're sort of hmm. in this uh sorority if you will yeah. of mothers yeah. who are nothing but helpful and supportive hmm. and you know a lot of my friends that had kids earlier i had a kid a little bit on the later side were like i wish 
you know, I had had these or I wish I had asked these questions. So I just yeah. reached out. Like, I don't know if I don't know something, yeah. regardless of the, the field, like I want to know the answer. Uh, I'm going to ask other people that have been there. So I'm, I'm wondering where that comes from, because I, that really is a hiccup for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. There's a the component of it is humility. So one would be like, I'm not, you know, I'm humble enough to recognize that I don't know what the next step might be. Uh, but then also there's enough initiative within you to take the step to go jump the gap or to solve the mm -hmm. problem. Mm -hmm. does, does that come naturally to you, would you say? Um, I think it's something that over time, you know, if you want to know the answer to something, yeah, you're going to have to seek it out. Yeah. It could be a person, it could be a book, it could be something, but... Um, you know, I have a deep drive to learn mm -hmm. and learn new things. Yeah. And the first thing I, I do is seek out an expert in that field and just try to follow them around. Whether it's um, following around a coach mm -hmm. and just asking a bunch of questions or following around uh, someone who raises chickens. So, I you know, <laughs> you, you just have to recognize that if someone has done it for 30 years, yeah. you could probably learn something from them. Yep. And that's probably a really great way to get started rather than like, I moved someplace new and I don't know anything about this. Like, well, let's ask this person. So to me, I've always wanted to be really good at things yeah. instead of okay. Yeah. And you have to recognize that then you have to you know, seek out existing knowledge. Totally. You are not reinventing the wheel. I, so go help, go, go find I was find hoping people. you would go down that path. And the reason is you went to an elite high school and the name of it was? Uh, Nutra High School. Nutra High School. and then You, you might be a, familiar with it. I've heard of it. Yeah. I, I feel like I've read about it. In Go Trevs. Go Trevs. Uh, and then what, an elite college yep. named? Uh, Williams College. Which I also. Go Eves. Which I, I completely agree. Uh, I, <laughs> I have purple a. Purple cows, you knew that. Well, I, I, I didn't, I didn't, um, the purple cows, that's right. Yeah. The, um, so I don't know. I, Maybe you know this already, but my grandpa went there, my uncle went there, two of my cousins went there. I thought I was going to end up there. I um, did not know that. In fact, I went to the Williams Amherst game wearing yeah. a Nutrier uh, letter jacket. I was yeah. a senior, like yeah. trying to figure it out. And your brother tapped me on the shoulder. <laughs> who was? Did he play guard there? Um, he was O line. Yeah, I, I, I thought he was he... a guard, but I don't know the answer. Offensive guard, center. Might have been center for a little while. Yeah. 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 I don't know yet, but uh, something like that. Anyway, uh, but it is an incredible place. And I say, I'm glad you brought that up, not just for the sake of name dropping, Aww. but I do think um, it's, it's a meaningful place for me. Was he at least nice? So, he was incredibly nice. Okay, good. He was incredibly nice. I've had so nice. many people tell me that. Like, he was my tour guide, and I remember yeah. your brother. He's great. Seriously. Um, I wanted to go out there. Uh, I'll just, again, this is just you and I having a conversation. Um, it's sort of a sentimental reason why I think it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, to get there, I, I, we flowed, flew to Boston, yeah. took a drive, mm -hmm. um, and it took a long time to get there. Yeah. My dad had been to every football game of my life, uh, and essentially it, it became pretty clear that that would no longer be possible if I went to school out east. That was like a main deciding factor. So I started looking huh. for like sort of similar schools in the Midwest. Yeah. I ended up at Knox College, yeah. which is which is a yeah. liberal arts school. Yeah. Also wears purple. Yeah, I know uh, that. Yeah. And, and, and you do dad, a lot of stuff there. And and I do and yeah, exactly. Okay. And and my dad did now whatever he could sense. to not miss a game. So um well, so I think anyway. that turned out for the best then. <clears throat> I think so too. But it's a great place and, and, and I and I really brought it all up um, because I, I thought that about you. Like you are inquisitive and and I think your academic success, you're a doctor as well. We want to go down that path in a second. But what what a good sort of mindset to espouse. 
it, it does it is rooted in hu- humility but it's also rooted in the confidence that like I'm gonna freaking get where I want to go and I might have to you know use other people as guides to do that so it's both humble and confident I'm gonna answer the questions I need to answer yeah so I like that you never get anywhere alone so you may as well start yeah I agree um, so after Williams what did you do um, I was actually a track and field coach at Maine South High School. So, dear listeners, <laughs> we have to end the podcast here. I, I honestly didn't know that. And uh, if I wasn't trapped by this seat, I would get up and leave. Yeah. I'm just kidding. How was it? Um, I lasted one year, um, not because I didn't want to keep going, sure. um, but because I just randomly applied to another position actually at University of Chicago. Hmm. And as I understood things, you don't just like get collegiate jobs with you know, one year of high school coaching, but, uh, they called me. Yeah. And so I was offered the job at university of Chicago. And so I took it. So I did, I coached, um, the women throwers at Maine South had a really good time. So you must have coached against your former coach. I did. Who actually was very helpful in trying to help me find a good place. I believe it. Um, and so I'm sure if I had said, Hey, I'd love to, you know, work at Nutria, I'd be like, yeah, that's great. Let's do that. But I think he wanted me to have, you know, some different experiences and sure. and uh, I'm grateful that I did. It was very fun. Yeah. Um, but then I moved on to the collegiate level mm-hmm. um, and really enjoyed that as well. Um, yeah. I think those athletes got along really well with me because we were both very inquisitive. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty young, been like 22 and some of them were 21. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but they, they were also very academic oriented. They wanted to know, you know, lots of answers to things. And so they weren't, they weren't pushy, mm-hmm. but they want to know why we were doing everything. Totally. And I love that. That yeah. worked great for me. So I was like, yeah, let's talk about it. And a lot of them uh, turned out to be coaches. Really? Um, I'm still in touch with a lot of them. One of them's actually took over his old lab, his old professor's lab. So he runs a chemistry lab at University of Chicago. That is wild. And just, um, he's got two kids just in touch. His longtime girlfriend would come to all the track meets and just sit there like, why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> um and now, you know, their kids go to lab school and they're, yeah. they're doing it. That it is fun. wild. It was And fun. you were at Chicago for how long? I was just there for a year. I did not mean to keep just like bouncing. But, yeah. Um, I had an opportunity to um, go to a graduate program on a graduate assistantship. Right. Um, and I didn't really want to leave the University of Chicago. It was never my intention to leave after a year. Yeah. Um, but things happen and I got a chance to get a free master's degree in, um, in sports science. So. Yeah. And where I was that? Yes. that? You had to go down south for that. East Tennessee, yep. Yeah. So it a little was warmer. A little bit warmer. Yeah. And, you know, I had the chance to work with some folks that, uh, you know, strong weightlifting background and yeah. track and field background, and I wanted to be the best track coach in the world. So yeah, it seemed like a really good idea to learn more about physiology because yep. it became clear to me uh, that if you were going to be a really good coach, you had to understand how the body adapted to training. And a history and psychology degree uh, were not what I needed to do that. So, right. you know, back to periodization for a hot second. Mm-hmm. I was like, I should know more hmm. so that I can exploit it when I design training and I could be more equipped to do that. Right. So I just didn't have the baseline knowledge that probably other people coming out of undergrad would have had just because I didn't sure. have that. Would you say work. you had other and different skill sets because of your psych involvement? Yeah, I think um, people often ask me, do I regret my history major? Like, do I regret that? Yeah. No. Hmm. Not even a little bit. I had a wonderful professor that taught me how to write. Yeah. 
and create really persuasive arguments. Bob, uh, Robert Dalzell, Professor yeah. Dalzell, I took five classes, every single one he offered. Wow. Um, and actually, as an aside, he taught at Williams for like 40 years. And his last class, his wife, who was the head librarian at Williams, Lee Dalzell, went through all his filing cabinets, like in handwritten, like these were not electronic records, and invited right. every student that had been one of his students for more than three classes, yeah. which you only get 32 classes. Yeah. So it's actually a lot to take That's three. That's significant, yeah. And it was hundreds, like to wow. come do this thing. So they had to like limit it. You would have to take four or more of his classes, which mm. should be a small number. It wasn't, it was huge. Right. And it was a Thursday at 10 a.m. and we all came. <laughs> To his class. Did you? His last class. Um, and that was one of my favorite things. And kind of like motherhood, everyone who had taken classes from him was like this instant bond. Yeah. Anyway, um, I digress. But I learned a lot about um, quality writing. Mm -hmm. And actually a lot about quality teaching. Hmm. It's never a PowerPoint, never anything. You just showed up. Yeah. And he was one of the best teachers I've ever had. Hmm. Um, and so I really liked that, but I was not a science person at all. The science side was driven by my desire to be the best track coach ever. Sure. Which means you have to dig in there. I, I agree. And I'm going to touch on two points. First is, <clears throat> I often find, we work with so many high school athletes. Mm -hmm. So many of them are very driven. Yep. Uh, I really think it's important to note what you just said, which is uh, if, if, if you're interested in history, don't not study history uh, because you don't think it has an incredible payout on the back end. I sure. think there's a sort of sure. a false narrative going on sure. right now that college is worthless and don't you get these nonsense degrees. Remember the name Bob Levin by chance back at Nutria? Mm -mm. Um, your brother me. would know him for sure. He was, okay. he was this old football coach. I'll, a, a brief history on Bob Levin. Played football at Yale. He was a fullback okay. at Yale. Okay. Did uh, his first round of graduate school at Harvard. Then his cool. second round at University of Chicago. Could cool. have like on paper done whatever the heck he wanted to do and decided to come back to Nutrier, coach running backs, and work in special ed. Special ah, ed, particularly cool. with students who had like sure. emotion and attention yeah. concerns. Yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and just really have, you know, it put meaning into the world. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful guy. He mentioned something um, at some point that has stuck with me forever. Um, and it's just, mm -hmm. chase the work you're willing to do. And mm -hmm. instead of, you know, there's this narrative out there that is find your passion. Yeah. Passion fades. And, you, you know, whether it's a relationship or a profession yep. or whatever yep. it might be, yep. you cannot rely on feeling like just juiced with passion yep. all the time. Um, I think there's another narrative, like we said, with college. Yep. I, I, I don't think if you're going to be in business, equip yourself with the tools to run a good business. I'm with that completely. But if you're 17, 18, and you're just not sure what it is that you want to do when you're 40, 50 plus, then chase the work you're willing to do. Yep. And as long as you're sort of diligent and attentive yep. to the process and forming relationships and really giving it your all, you will, you'll learn from it. Yeah. You learn to communicate. That's good advice. That's yeah. good advice. I thought it was really meaningful. So I, I hope people hear that. Yeah. I think um, in a weird way, a lot of the different experiences you have end up becoming incredibly valuable. Yeah. And so, you know, I've got family members or friends are like, oh, what am I going to do? You know, I'm 20. I don't know what I'm going to do. And yeah. it's like. Do something, dive in, dive all in, yeah, and then, you know, see what happens next. Well, but there's this yeah. pressure to like know at 20 what you're gonna do for the rest of your life. Yeah. I, I was 100% sure that I wanted to be a really good track coach. 100% sure. Yeah. Got my USA Track and Field certification when yeah. I was like 18, like fought around my college track coach, like I got this, you know? Like yeah. I was sure of it. Um, 
And I did everything I could to try to go down that path. But when another door, another interest sparks, like you, you go that direction. So you never know what it's going to look like. Yeah. But I think it's really unfortunate that people feel that pressure. Like yep. 18, like I've got to know what I'm going to do. Because, and Williams actually did this. It's kind of a cool class, like the winter study where you have like a month to just do sure. something different. Yep. It's called composing a life. Hmm. And what they did, they actually brought in someone uh, from Glencoe, which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, but they bring in different people in different industries. And they say, okay, take us through the last 30 years of your life, whether it's professionally or personally. And you know, let's just go through how that looked for you and what you imagined it would look like and what it does look like. And I took the class as a freshman, which is kind of weird because I think a lot of seniors were taking it as right. like, a, oh my gosh, I'm graduating, what do I do? do and I, do I was like, yeah. no, this seems really interesting. Like, I'm, I'm curious yeah. you know, how people you know, did this. Um, and it was fascinating, you know, but there is this, belief that you kind of have like everything and in like maybe law or medicine there's some like real clear tracks but sure everything that i've done that isn't really related to my current position has informed it in some way whether mm -hmm. it's personally professionally whatever it's all worthwhile yeah but go all in on whatever you do it's so right um to prematurely funnel is is one of the surest ways to mm -hmm. unhappiness i think um and it's funny that you mentioned you know you didn't you weren't immediately into the sciences, but your process is scientific in that way. You're essentially you're going all in. You're yeah. you're sort of being thoughtful about your actions, listening to the feedback that that you're getting and, and adjusting yeah. from there. That's sort of a scientific process. Um, but I, I do love that advice. I I do mean it. Maybe it's just the world that that I feel like we sit in. But aligning, um, it, it's hard to say that your purpose should have a, should be to have a range of experiences so that you'll ultimately find what you want and be your best self. That's a little uh, challenging for people. Do you also think that there's any, um, I'm wondering if the rationale for that, for pick this, do this specifically, is not just so that we have neurosurgeons in the world, but I wonder if it's a counterbalance to people who feel just lost in their lives. You know what I mean? Because I think if you explore forever, yeah. you might find nothing yeah um i don't know so at some point i mean you do have to you yeah. know close some doors right and there's a problem with just endless choice sure um right. no doubt um Tricky. but I, te I tend to always say yes and maybe maybe that's a bad thing but my first instinct is to always say yes yeah let's do it, it totally <laughs> i agree <laughs> i'm in the same it, boat it could be something just totally bizarre or like a random email or here's a proposition or like a student, you yeah. know, random, what a, sure, why not? Let's try it. Let's give it a shot. Um, yeah, and I think my my mom was pretty much that way. Like, yeah, yeah. sure, like you notice, sure. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's where a lot of learning happens. Totally. People that say yes, like you get exposed to things that you wouldn't have otherwise. And I think there's a fear of, I don't wanna put myself out there and look silly, or I don't wanna put myself out there and, you know, be the new person. Right. So I think in a lot of, ways you have to be willing to just get like I'm gonna be bad at this and it's yeah. hard for a lot of young kids to say yeah. like, I'm gonna be bad at this for a while um, but once you stop caring what other people think it's yeah. very freeing it's very it's so liberating <laughs> it's I totally agree and I'm with you I, uh, stop caring what other people think I think it's um I'm going back to this idea that it's probably some balance of humility and confidence and like and one fuels the other mm -hmm. it's really interesting there's there's a hypocrisy in coaching you are essentially as a coach teaching people new skills. Mm -hmm. You're asking them to do something they've never done before. Yep. And that's hard. Yeah. When is a coach or a person, when have you learned a new motor skill? When's the last motor skill, Ooh. motor skill that you learned? Are you asking me directly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, let me think about this. Uh, I wonder if I'm not the right person to ask this to <laughs> because I will say that I, should I, should I jump Alex, in? you want to jump yeah, in here? What's, what's the last motor skill that you learned? I started doing uh, Muay Thai this summer. Okay. So everything involved with that yeah, kicking and totally and new. That, yeah. And how was the experience of being a beginner in Muay Thai? Oh, I mean, like it's it, there's. It's embarrassing to a degree because especially when you're in like a group setting, you feel like, oh my gosh, everyone knows what they're doing except me, which wasn't true either. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it can be frustrating and it can be embarrassing in a lot of ways because it's like, you know, I'd like to think of myself as an athlete and as someone who's physically yep. fit. And yep. it's like the simplest thing where it's like the instructors are like, no, just do this. Yeah. No, just like this, like subtle adjustments. Alex, I'm like, I like don't this, know. come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah basically so it, it was frustrating at times yeah. for sure so yeah exactly like that yours was I'm too so, easy I'm sorry sorry but but so the idea I is i would have been embarrassed at muay thai too right? if you if your day job is teaching people new yeah. motor skills yeah you have to have some empathy for that and we are so far removed from learning new motor skills mm -hmm. that we really have a hard time appreciating like how much courage it takes for people to you know be called out and say hey demonstrate this in front of a group that you yeah. just learned or those sorts of things. So I think it informs your teaching. I love that. And it, it applies not just to motor skills, right? Um, but certainly that's the most salient. Like, oh, I learned how to, you know, play the guitar and I'm so frustrating to be bad at something because I'm mm -hmm. so used to being good at something or I'm so used to being in control and now I'm not, you know, or whatever it was. Or I'm sure. so used to being viewed as good at stuff. Mm -hmm. You have this danger that people are not willing to take risks anymore. And so I think it's really helpful if we're asking coaches or we're asking athletes to do that, that as coaches, you should also model that. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm willing to do this new thing or like, I'm willing to look silly. I'm willing to put myself out there so that it isn't just them doing all the work, them taking all the risks. So, yeah. you know, it's probably partly my personality where I'm like, sure, what the heck? But that goes back yeah. to like, just not caring what other people think. Sure. So like, if I look silly or ridiculous, like I think I taught a course and I hadn't trained in a while, <laughs> like totally ate it trying to do this certain drill and I was like yeah, well yeah. it is what it is you know I'm no different than you yeah um where, where do you think that comes from that sort of confidence like because you can't just not care what other people think we, we're too interdependent as a society just not care but you could be you could have just such a strong belief in yourself that what other people think rolls off much easier you know I don't know. Were you raised well? I was raised very well. There you go. Um, I have a very, you know, a family that, that is awesome. Uh, both my parents, they're divorced, remarried. So I'll say all four of them <laughs> are yeah. awesome. Um, I don't know. It just seems to me like people spend so much of their life trying to chase what people think they should have. Hmm. And they really don't do a whole lot that's meaningful to them they do a lot of things that they think they're supposed to do or mm -hmm. that look good and my family never pressured me i said i'm going to williams uh thank you for your you know love and support uh and financial support of that decision yeah. it's not a light one yeah. of eight years of williams tuition um thank you for that yeah and at the end of it i said mom dad i want to be a track coach right, right. <laughs> yeah right and they're like you could have parents that were like why on earth did I send you to totally. this school to right. go be a track coach? They were like, that's awesome. What can we do to support you? That's amazing. Right? And yeah. so I think I always had the freedom to just, 
you know, try and fail and know that I would be supported. And I know that there's a lot of people that don't have that support. Sure. A lot of my athletes don't have that support. They right. don't have that safety net. I could never imagine going through my life without that sort of a safety net of yeah. having people that like care about you and will help you. Um, but I also just never really liked the way that people just didn't do things that they personally cared about to sort of keep appearances up. And I think mm -hmm. now with social media, it's even worse. Yeah. Because people have this sort of like curated image of themselves and then they feel like they have to keep up that. I was just reading like a New York Times article about a lady who um, was a wedding planner for indie weddings and she built up this whole brand called like Stone Fox Bride or something mm. and she got divorced uh. and she hid it for two years. And her husband lived in like an air ex-husband lived in like an airstream trailer around the corner and she was doing fittings and it was like celebrities it was keeping up this image of Just like pretending that she wasn't divorced yeah pretending that she wasn't separated or you know oh, whatever wow. because it's bad for business it's bad for your brand sure, you're sure. you know a wedding company to celebrities and so i think there's so much pressure to keep up these images yeah that now people have this curated view of themselves and they're like, you know what? It turns out I'm not happy. How many other like social media people that are like these adorable little influencer fitness chicks, you know, come back and say like, I had an eating disorder. I, you know, hated my life. And I just felt like I had to go on all these vacations to just, you know, take a picture of myself in this beautiful place. And people feel so much pressure yeah. to be someone they're not. And I guess I just yeah. never cared. Yeah. Good and for you. Maybe it's being a track athlete where you're like, I'm a thrower. People just assume I'm fat and lazy, you know, like whatever. Deal you with know, it. Deal with it. I mean, that was mm -hmm, because he's a throw. He was a thrower at Nutria also, by the way. And, and I was clearing my throat. But yeah. Oh, and the yeah. oh, sorry. <laughs> so I don't know, and I guess uh, I never felt like I should keep up with the Joneses. I yeah. saw what that did to people. Yeah. And it's just, it's not for me. So good for you. I don't That's know. awesome. I I. I I'm trying to think about how, how to make that, that particular part of your message super digestible and, and allow everyone to experience, experience that. Because I, I, I do agree that, um, first of all, to go back to the beginning of your conversation, to be like a 14-year-old girl in high school is hard. But to be a 14-year-old boy in high school is hard also. Also true. Uh, you know, it, to a different degree, I would assume, based on yeah, what yeah. I've seen and heard from people yeah. that I trust and care about. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that the more public we are, it's, it's weird. You talk about, um, I don't know, you call it the paradox or the hypocrisy within when coaches. Within coaches, it's also, um, there's, a, there's sort of a paradox within the phone or the technology industry also. I think it can be such an incredible tool. It can yeah. connect people. Yeah. If you have access yeah. to information. If For you are sure. humble and curious and inquisitive like yourself, you can go find answers yeah. faster than, we've, yeah. than in the history of humankind. It's wonderful in that way. It can also uh, it, like essentially stimulate, encourage anxiety and depression yeah. in ways yeah. that have not been happening. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's too bad because it, it is happening, I'll tell you, to the population again that we work with yeah. so directly yeah. that idea that people have to go to an exotic location and take a picture of themselves yep. so that they can keep up their brand is so absurd if you it is the antithesis of mindfulness yep. they, people are no longer um enjoying bali yeah they are looking for you rent a, a photographer a to and document exactly right your bali trip yeah it's absurd it is absurd and the pressure that high school kids must face yeah you know being a part of that sort of yeah. world. Like I couldn't even imagine how horrible that must feel. I'll, I'll, it's weird because it has changed everything. We, um, 
you 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 are on Instagram, obviously. When people post begrudgingly, begrudgingly, fine as an, <laughs> as a necessity. Of, well, it's it's true. I'm with begrudgingly. you. Begrudgingly, you got to be there because the people you want to work with are there. Yeah. Nothing else. I, I would think um, begrudgingly on Instagram, but you'll see people post like the, the new social economy is like. Well, you post something of yourself in Bali, say, and one of your yeah. good friends didn't like it. Well, why? This yeah. invented anxiety yeah. and yeah. you know your this yeah. false projection yeah. uh, is wild. Anyway, how, go ahead. I saw a really funny story. Um, I say begrudgingly because yeah. I resisted it. My husband is not on Instagram. We're not on Twitter. He's on Facebook, but probably posts once every five years. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, uh, whatever. I'm just gonna resist it. And you know, colleagues be like, oh, check it out. But I taught a course actually in Holland. It was the first time, so probably, I don't know how many years ago now, five, six years ago. Yeah. And uh, my boss at the time was like, you just blew up Instagram. And I was like, okay, whatever. He's like, oh, it must have gone really well. Like, I just, dude, Instagram, like, oh my God, I saw these posts. I was like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, no, don't no, even know what no, that means. No right? concept. Yeah, yeah. And he was just yeah. like, that's ridiculous. I'm like, I had a flip phone. Uh, until I traveled so much internationally that I was like, I probably need Google Maps. And it just like befuddled people. Like, well, what do you do if you need something right now? Yeah. Well, you go home, go to my computer. Like, I guess I'd call my mom and tell her to Amazon it. Like, I I don't know. I mean, wait now or can it? You figure it out. Yeah. So I lived in this like blissful ignorance for like a good while. And I did a course actually uh, for a gym in the Twitter building Mm. in San Francisco and got bullied into starting an Instagram account. Look at you. I'm sorry about that. So it's a bit of a sore subject. It's not that I really hate Instagram. It's a it's a you know double edged sword or whatever. Sure. But but I hear people say like you know I should have this or I should be here and it to me it creates so much sadness in people comparing their it lives does. to Instagram 100%. and they don't realize how much how much of a curated image it projects. Right. But to me it's just like I want those people to have a little bit more you know realistic view of the yep. world. Totally. So, totally. Yeah. I, I think if you, this is sort of the purpose that we've, we've tried to establish behind it because it's an easy rabbit hole to go down. Yeah. Uh, if you're not celebrating people's accomplishments or delivering some sort of quality education or yep. idea or insight, yep. then, then get off. Uh, I found myself looking up people, whatever. I'm telling you, uh, I remember one day I caught myself look there was a pit bull breeding farm and I was, I was i was just like i don't know how many uh squares deep in this instagram post and it clicked in i was like what am i doing with my life right don't now? look up aussies of instagram no just don't do it okay i, yeah, I, couldn't, I couldn't handle it i don't have the the self-management skills like to aussies make. doing things i don't know it's just a bunch of cute puppies couldn't do it i don't mean to say social media is all horrible no there's some really good things and if the people you're trying to reach are on social media. It's right. not like a demon platform. No. Um, I guess I was just very fortunate to have, you know, enough support and family to not have like really low self-esteem. And so, yeah. you know, not have those like, like, oh my God, you know, I hate my life. Other people are in Bali, but right. you know, just seems like it's going to be a problem. Totally. And you know, what's interesting. And this is the, we don't need to dissect all of Instagram today. Sorry, Instagram. Uh, but Kate Kalnis, who is a teacher at Nutria, a colleague yeah. of mine, former colleague of, of Alex, wonderful person, brilliant person yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, she, she was doing some research, I think wrote her dissertation on it. 
and one of the really startling things that she came up with was it's not only comparison to others yeah it's comparison to yourself which is which is cueing this this depression and anxiety especially in young females who will post something say they were at the beach and they put a filter on yeah. and there's them yeah. up there yeah and you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and you're like oh you know, so it's this weird you compared to you even. But either weird. way, it's this economy of comparison yeah. that is that is triggering these pretty negative you know effects. What? If you can be grateful for what you have. Totally. And not worry about that you're not on a beach in Bali or that you don't have something. I feel like you're much better off. And I think I've always tried to focus on like, totally. I'm grateful I have this. I'm grateful I have this. Let's not worry about all the other things. And it's you know, to, to spend all of your time and energy, right? If you if you really think about, you know, time is money type thing, like you yeah. have a certain amount of time to train, to, you know, whatever. If you then allocate it, like in a week, how much time am I sleeping? How much time yeah. am I doing fitness? How much time am I doing this? You know, there isn't time to spend on some of those things, but if people right. are gonna say like, these things are important to me, I think it's a bit of a cost accounting where you say, mm -hmm. okay, health is important or sleep is important or whatever. Like let's cost account. Let's put your money where your mouth is. And I think like what you can look on like screen time and see how much of yeah. your life you wasted exactly. looking at, you know, like scrolling through the feed. Um, and I'm not like high and mighty, like I've never wasted an hour of my life scrolling sure. through Instagram. Um, but then you say, okay, at the end of the week, I'm gonna commit to saying like, okay, how much time did I spend on this? And did that match up with what I wanted? Yeah, It's a very easy objective way to say like, am I living in a way that I'm, you know, hoping to. Yeah. Um, There's no doubt. Well, like that's a, like a spot check, if you will. Hundred percent. This spot check that you're referring to, that's our like the big organizational model for us or mantra. Yeah. Does your behavior match yeah. your goal? Same idea. It's exactly. A, it it and the big idea behind that question is no judgment. Just check in with yourself. Yeah. You know, are you using Instagram in the ways that that you said you were? Yeah. Be accountable for that behavior. Yep. Align it with your purpose. Yep. And just be able to answer yes or no. And and don't freak out about it, but be yeah. willing to adjust if, if the answer is no. Yeah. And I think, so I had another really great professor in my life, uh, Bill Sands, who's okay. the smartest human I've ever met. Who's, where's he at? Bill Sands works for USA Ski and Snowboard. Okay. Um, I met him in East Tennessee and he's one of those nice. people that I just like followed around because it's like, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to learn a whole lot. Um, yeah. But he's, he's a brilliant teacher. He's a brilliant researcher. Um, and he sort of introduced this concept of like, okay, he worked with gymnastics a lot. And mm -hmm. he said, okay, the coaches were really focused on X. And so he said, okay, across the week, how many times are you practicing your floor routine or your bars routine or whatever? And does that match up with what you said your priority for that week was? And sure. I thought, well, that's a really interesting thing to have coaches do. Hmm. So coaches, if you're listening, if you say your priority is X, Y, or Z, and you add up the hours and minutes that you're training people, how much of it is that? And so, yeah. you know, if you say your focus is on like, I'm getting stronger this block and it's, you know, half an hour of foam rolling, you know, two hours right. of warm ups, you know, right. one hour of tag, you know, 20 minutes of lifting and an hour of flag football, like false, right? Right. right. Um, but I think a lot of coaches, because there's a lot of different moving pieces, kind of get in that trap of like, I'll do 10% of everything and just be like, not focused on anything because I feel like I should do all these things. Right. So it's a way of kind of tracking that. And so it kind of got me thinking. So I think I, I think I called it like what the, what coaches can learn from like the business world or something, but. Ooh. Did you write about it? I did, nice. I did. It's been a number of years, but the concept came to me from listening to Dr. Sands going, okay, how can I keep myself honest? Yeah. So I did that and I said, okay, if I say that I'm focused on this, you know, Am I putting in, you know, how much time for recovery or how much time for, um, you know, tactical training or video review or whatever? Yep. 
does that actually match up? So you can look at it in strength training just like alone or as a coach, like across all of the things that you're doing, you know, mm-hmm. practice planning or whatever, like does it actually match up? But then, you know, take that a step further and then do that to your life. Yeah, right. You know, so... That's hard. It's, it's a valuable and difficult yeah. thing to do, to have to admit to yourself very clearly on paper. Like, yeah, I said, you know, family was really important to me. And I look at my, you know, hours this week and I, you know, spent like 30 minutes with my family total. Yeah. Like, ugh. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know? Exactly so right. Yeah, well, in, in, in quality, and I, I would say one of the difficult things about that would be quality also. Like, sure. were you with your family for yeah. five hours and you were just watching TV the whole time? Yeah. Or was it an hour and you're playing card games or whatever and you're actually interacting face to face? I wonder. And that's, and, and that's where... I sort of extrapolate this idea into the coaching realm and I'm thinking right now, I'm thinking football. Yep. So like uh, you say we want to be strategically sound. Yeah. Okay. Football coaches out, out there, I hope you're listening. <laughs> you want to be strategically sound. Yeah. Okay, so what do you have to do? You have to uh, really be secure in your own strategy, be clear about your strategy, communicate well to your kids. You have to br- probably break down some film. Yep. You have to anticipate yep. what you're... Uh, the other group is doing and I'll pause right there because I'll tell you in practice that's where people start to go astray so they might say yeah. well, I'm gonna log three hours of film breakdown yeah. Yeah. but really films on your laptop and yeah. Netflix is on just behind it and, and you scoot it to the side as, as you sit down to eat dinner in front of the TV mm-hmm. um, so the quality of, of uh, that engagement would matter as well yeah yeah and so. you know it's it's hard and yeah. I've worked remotely for I don't know, seven or eight years now. Yeah. And there's a tremendous amount of discipline in being able to turn off your phone yeah. or turn oh, yeah, off your totally. computer. Like I remember my dad would come home from work and I never, ever remember my dad talking about work. Ever. Wow. Like he'd get home off the train, you know, he'd like walk home and he was through the door and it was like, let's hang out. Yeah. And I cannot, like I was thinking about it because it wouldn't really, didn't really occur to me as a kid, right? But now I was like, Looking back, like what he coached, like basketball, um, you know, he'd go bowling, you know, I'm trying to think like, do I have any memories of that? And I think there's a big shift in people taking work home with them and yep. there being a really uh, difficult time of just like cutting off, like, okay, hmm. it's nine o'clock. I'm not going to look at my email or when I worked yeah, yeah. internationally, I'd wake up at three in the morning because that's when the workday started in right. Europe. Right. And I'm like, wow. this is really bad that I'm waking up at three in the morning yeah. and like panicked and checking my phone. Like that should not happen. No. So having the ability to like actually cut that is increasingly hard in, you know, today's world, which is something that I struggle with to try to make sure like, look, I want to do my job. I'm really, really enjoy what I'm doing, but I also need to be fair to my family and say, look, if I say my family is important to me, then, you know, if something comes in at nine o'clock at night or, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday, like I need to shelve it yeah. and deal with it later. It's, it's interesting because uh, I think I'm trying to sort of troubleshoot that. First of all, I think we are all more accessible than we've ever been before. So yeah. we're compelled to answer yep. uh, a direct message or a text or an email and our, you, know, you don't no longer yeah. have to sit down and log in. Yeah. Your email just pops it up just on your, shows in up. your yeah. hand. Uh, so constant accessibility. But I'm also wondering if also so I'm trying to I'm really trying to internalize this every like I will continue where I am a vic- I do that yeah and I, we and, all I do. and I shouldn't but I do um, I also wonder though 
if part of the reason I do that or feel like I have to do it is because or, or is maybe a stronger compulsion when I'm not as productive during the day and I think I'm on the days that I'm not as productive during the day, it's also because of the phone potentially, which is kind of interesting. Meaning I could shut down at five o'clock every yeah. or six, whatever it yeah. is every day if I got all of my tasks off my plate. Yeah. And if I don't, if I get distracted, yep. then I've got to yep. sort of extend my day. So to be able to sort of concentrate and harness yeah. efforts feels like an and important that, skill. That is a really good point. And I think to some extent in coaching, it's like, you know, a badge of honor to sleep on your floor. Yeah. You know, and be like, ah, I'm working, you know, 12 hour days and yeah. like shooting 12 Red Bulls and yeah. whatever. Like I got this. Yep. But it's like, what if you're just really time inefficient and checking your phone all the time? And you're yep. just like, you know, putting totally. in some FaceTime, but you're genuinely like inefficient. Totally. And that's a question that needs to be asked. Yeah. I'll tell you, you know, <laughs> I, I think there are two, there are a couple things going on at the, at the place that we went to school and in a lot of schools. I think sometimes uh, teachers are not valuing the time of their students. They're yeah. signing too much homework. You know, yeah. you, you picture coming out of a track practice. Yeah. If you came out of track practice at six o'clock in high school yeah. and they had four hours of work ahead of you, hypothetically. True story. You'd have, which is a real possibility. <laughs> True story, yeah. You would, it, it, that's the, part of the assumption there is that you have to sit down post, immediately drive home, yeah. shower, get, a, get some food, and sit down and not look. Here's math. As soon as math is done, move to the yeah. side here, science, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a near impossibility. Yeah. Now I say that because I think we're systematically sort of injuring kids. And I'm, I I yeah. use that word because it's yeah, dramatic, yeah. but I think it's true. Um, but also sure. does sometimes I will ask students cause not everyone's in that boat. I'll say, did you really have three hours of math homework yeah. or did your teacher assign 20 questions? And instead of just sitting down and doing the 20 questions, yeah. you had your phone open beside yes. you and you're kind of bouncing back and forth. Yeah. So it took you three hours yeah. to do those yeah. 20 questions. I think that's a, <coughs> excuse me, I think it's a worthwhile question to ask. I think it does actually happen more often than you think. And it was never more apparent to me how frustrating that was uh, until actually I had my child. Because oh. what ended up happening was other people would just like kind of hang out and like chit chat and I'm like, if you knew what it took for me to get 30 minutes of time to myself to focus on this, yeah, like you would understand my rage that you are just casually sitting around chit-chatting during the 30 minutes that I like killed myself to make available for this. I'm with you. And it's a totally different concept of like time and energy. And it's like, if I don't get this done, you know, in this time, right. <laughs> like, it will never get done. So I think I started to really prioritize my time hmm. a lot more. Um, but also you're right. You know, if you can get the work done, then you free up time for other things. Totally. So other things like, I don't know, keeping bees, perhaps. Yeah. Is that a smooth transition, Alex? That was, That's thank you. like butter. <laughs> thank you. So I, this is, so you, you went off and, and you are a doctor now, or you got a master's. Did you get a doctor at the same spot? I did not. Um, I'm a strong proponent in doing something other than just being a student. Yeah. Like do something and then go back to being a student. Because gotcha. I think having some life experience enriches your yeah. ability to contribute uh, to anything. But sure. um, I taught and coached for a number of years out in Colorado. Um, and then I went back to finish a degree because I wanted to learn more. Yeah. I'm a bit nerdy. And back to the Kentucky? Uh, East Tennessee. Sorry, Tennessee. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. For a northerner, they're probably about the same. Right? They're pro yeah, so, just so, <laughs> like, like down, down. A there. northerner, you down are. There. Come on. I'm just kidding. At um, heart, you are a northerner still. True. I did marry into a, into the Hatfields. To be clear, of the did Hatfield you? McCoy fame. Yes. Did you actually? I did. Maxie Carl Trey Hatfield Ray the third. 
is That's my, not true. It, it is 100% true. Oh, wow. My wonderful husband, we've been together for 17 years. Wow. Maxie Carl, Trey Hatfield, Ray the third. The, the family reunion is in uh, Pike County, Kentucky. Uh, the, Kentucky. First, the first Saturday of every um, August. Yeah. That's so. unbelievable. No, legitimate. So. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure he's a great guy. Anyway, I digress. So I did, I did uh, coach track yeah. uh, and teach and learned a ton. It was wonderful. And then I went back to get uh, a doctorate, and I just really liked the area. Yeah. So um, I tried to learn something new every year. Love Beekeeping it. was uh, one of those iterations. So I started that fun hobby of learning something like a totally new, bizarre yeah. thing every year yeah. when I was in Colorado. Um, and I kind of got hooked on service learning. So when I was a teacher, I did a lot of service learning. So we'd go different places and do stuff. So we mucked out a barn at a local farm. Um, what does it mean to muck out a barn? Uh, yes. Um, so animals in the winter, they have to be indoors a bit and they, yeah. uh, poop all over. And Thank you get you for like poop, Alex, you get, can you say poop? On this podcast, we'll bleep it out. (laughs) Sorry for being so crass. (laughs) That's right. Um, So you're knee deep in, you know, poop, and you have to shovel it out. So at the end of, you know, whatever, Um, horses, sheep, whatever. This this happened to be sheep. Um, So my students learned about um, community supported agriculture and local farming and food supply. Cool. uh, In exchange for mucking out their barn, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I get the summers off as a teacher. Like, I'm gonna come work at your dairy. So I worked at a raw milk dairy. Cool. And every Thursday we made butter. And so I know everything there is to know about making uh, raw milk butter and then ice cream and yogurt. Hmm. I make very good ice cream. I make excellent butter. Um, so prove it is well, ob- yeah, my next yeah. obvious. Oh, <laughs> yes. come, come on down to the farm. Uh, my brother's like, you should tell this. I'm like, eh, not really. He's like going through the whole supply chain, you know, like, yeah. as you do <laughs> yeah. when you're business minded. I'm like, well, there's 24 cows and whatever. Like, that sounds like work. I'm just going to do this. Yeah. Um, and so then I was like, all right, well, I'm going to do dairy for a year. And then I learned how to, like, can. Like, all right, we're going to can different stuff. So, you know, let's do that. Peaches, tomatoes, pickles, yeah. whatever. Did a bunch of canning. That was fun. Um, I had chickens. So one year was the year of chickens. The year so of I was, chickens. I had some uh, Australorps and Buff Orpingtons. And so I learned all Those about chickens. chicken varieties, chicken I varieties. Thank you. Not just their names. No, no. <laughs> their names were, like, um, you know, beer can and... You know, Kung Pao and oh, all right. chicken related. And Ooh. then the second. What, a, what an ominous yeah. name. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they, you know. Dear Chicken. The next batch were um, <laughs> were celebrities. So okay. Christina Aguilera, Yoko nice. Ono. Yeah, you know, so like you that, sort of checked kind of the thing. next batch. They yeah. didn't know it was coming. That's good. So that was really fun um, learning how to, we'll say politely, process chickens. Thank um, you. <laughs> yeah. And harvest their eggs. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, and then I moved to like a farm when I was in Tennessee where I had like a small house and they kept cattle. So I um, got to like bottle feed cows and learn about that and then like castrate them and things like that. So um, oh. definitely not your suburban Chicago. No. So I learned, you know, all the different bits and pieces about, um, I guess you'd call it farming, but mm-hmm. different, different things you could do or different yep. things you could uh, do on your own. So I decided I was going to do this eventually on my own. So beekeeping was the next iteration. Um, my mom always had a big garden. I was pretty pretty comfortable with that. My stepmom was a horticulturist. Mm. So I always knew I wanted to have an apple orchard or some sort of a fruit orchard. Yeah. Um, my relatives in Austria always had like cherry trees and stuff like that. So come from, come from it honestly, we'll say. Yeah. So I have a 170 uh, tree heirloom fruit orchard and wow. four beehives. 
Um, so so cool. I've been beekeeping for five years. It is very hard. If you want adrenaline, go face to face with like 40,000 bees on a, a limb of a tree that you have to like coax into a box because they've swarmed and then calmly, you know, put them back. So it's actually, I think, really productive. Whoa. It's good biofeedback to be able to calmly manage yourself so let, with all those on. bees flying I around I want to you. picture this. So they get out of the they box? They swarm, you know, like if you yeah. see them like on a fence somewhere where they shouldn't be. Like they swarm. They're like, I want out. I don't like this apartment anymore. It's too crowded. And they go just like sit on the fence or they, they're all buzzing around in the They clock? go on a limb, but basically yeah. what they do is they wait, right? So they wait for a while and then they send scout bees out to find like new houses. Yeah. But the new houses have to be a certain way, like a hollow tree trunk or whatever. But they're, sure. they're looking for a certain volume. Like bees are, bees are incredibly smart. Yeah. So they're looking for a certain dimensions. They're looking for proximity, whatever. And they send a bunch of scabbies out, and then they all fight about which one the best one is. And they eventually arrive at a decision. In the meantime, the main clump of bees is just chilling. Just hanging out, yeah. Somewhere. Wow. And I happen to be walking down with Diana, checking the hives, just down the hill. And I look up at my apple tree and I see like a giant mess of bees, like a basketball sized clump of bees. And I was like, oh crap. So then I ran up the hill, gave my husband Diana and was like, I gotta go catch the swarm and suited up and got on a ladder and brushed all the bees into a new box. And it did, I was successful. I, I don't like to make assumptions, but I'm going to assume we're sitting here at the NSCA National Conference in San Antonio. I'm gonna assume that you're the only person at this conference <laughs> who's had that kind of experience. That is wild. That's incredible. Bees are the most fascinating critters. It's fascinating. So, okay. They're trendy now, but really they're just amazing critters. Yeah. It, and, and when you say you have to sort of corral them back into their home, how do you do that? You have like- With a, your hand. Excuse me? Yeah, with your hand. You brush them with your hand, so you grab like the cluster and they're all happily clustered. They're all like holding each other. Yeah. You take your hand and you reach and you try to put as many of them into like the box that you have or vessel that you're going to put them in, cardboard box in my case. And if the queen is in the bees you manage to put in the box, yeah. they will all come to her. It's a pheromone, it's a scent. Yeah. If you miss the queen, which I did twice by the way, they will all just fly back out to her. This is good, okay. So I had to do it three times, <laughs> but I was successful. So the third time, Holding a basketball-sized clump of bees, you got them in to return them. That's in, incredible. In a cardboard box on a ladder, yes, in the orchard. Um, but really, there's a, there's a book called Honey Bee Democracy, yeah, which is about how bees make decisions yeah. for where they should relocate when they swarm. Yeah, and it is fascinating. So okay, so they went out and scouted and came back. How do they sort of? Well, I never gave them the chance to find a new right. home because I gave it, had them. They, a had new they, they home. been successful, yes. what would that? How do you? How do they sort that out? Um, they fight? It's a complicated book, but they but they do a bunch of waggle dances to yeah. indicate where they were, and they all come back, and, and they the strength of their waggle dance sounds ludicrous. The uh, basically enthusiasm with which they dance compels bees eventually over time to do it. And they did this research, this is incredibly bizarre, but they did this research tagging bees with numbers yeah. on an island Right? So you can't have, and, and they could figure out where they were going. And so they would set up like basically trap boxes where they knew the bees would want to go. Yeah. They would, you know, induce a swarm and they would have all these numbered bees and they would see, and they would sit at those like sites and say, okay, which bee visited what to figure out, do they visit all the sites? Do all the bees visit all the sites? Because yeah. if they don't, then how do they make that decision? Sure. So yeah, anyway, honeybee democracy, it's fascinating. Super cool. I like bees. I'm probably one of the few people that's like that excited about it. In my, I like in my bees. local beekeeping club, I'm like, 
you know, 30 years younger than everyone, but also like in strength and conditioning, there is a guy, um, John Marshall, who's my B mentor and has been for a number of years. He's been doing it for 30 years. And I'm like, yeah. well, why go with this on my own? <laughs> Let's go, John. Yeah. You got a B mentor. I, love I, do. It. I um, do. I went to B school, as I like to say, but and not the real one. Not the ha real ha. There's a real one? I have an MBA. Ha, ha, ha. Ah, got, got it. it. That's, okay. That was reference to business, business school. Business school joke. MBA. definitely put a... Yeah. Can, you, can we get a sound I effect of a rim shot? My brother there? has a Harvard MBA. I have a yeah. Washington County Beekeepers Association MBA. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> And you can debate which one is making you more successful. Yeah. Uh, it depends on how you want to apply. The uh, th that's really exciting. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I, I'm intrigued by it. I got to, so tell me. I'm going to tell you a story about my most recent experience with bees. Okay. And you tell me what you think was happening. I was on the football field coming off from a practice. Yeah. And sort of ushering our guys off. We're just saying, hey, good practice, whatever. It's, yeah, yeah. it's Justin, and we're going. And I see this cloud coming across the field. It's literally going from, if you can picture the football field like this, from one corner, long way across towards the other. Yeah. And it's a cloud. I'm like, what is that? And then all of a sudden, once I recognize it, it's a massive it was a cloud of a swarm of bees. I bet it was a swarm. And they yeah. were coming, but they were coming right at us. And I'm like, I don't know how bees operate. And I was like, I don't want to send all these kids running. Yeah. Because I, I, I don't think, yeah. I wonder what that would do. I don't think that they're attacking us. You know, they were literally just traveling. Yeah. But this yeah. massive yeah. cloud of bees went of bees. over the, all these kids. And I'm, like, responsible for protecting that day. Uh, it was a little creepy. They had decided that they had found their new location. And then they went and did it. That's amazing. Now I know. Anyway. Or they got a taste for human flesh. flesh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's right. Bees, I have learned a lot from beekeeping. It, yeah. is, it is a very interesting thing. If you, if you, you know, persistence and termination and those sorts of things, like, they die. I mean, bees die, and then you go start all over again. Like, you got to decide, like, am I going to restart this hive? Am I going to yeah. get another chest freezer to freeze these frames so they don't get, you know, wax moths eating them? Like, it, it is a commitment. It's a, yeah. it's a strong commitment. You will never earn your money back. But... You know, like anything, you just have to do it because you want to do it. So, so do you? And you sell that product now? I do. Um, it took me a number of years to feel confident enough that, like, yeah. my bees weren't just gonna all die and it would be horrible. But um, yeah. my, I guess, hobby outside of work is Purple Valley Farm. Purple Valley being a nod to Williams College. Love it. My husband and I met there on the track team yeah. um, many, many years was, ago. What was was he a thrower as well? Yes, yeah. all American chopper. Wow. Couldn't throw a disc to save his life. But no, that's he's right. a great chopper. There you go. Um, so yeah, Purple Valley Farm, and you know we live in the mountains, and it's a little bit, you know, at night it can it can kind of have this this purple hue to it. So it sure. made us very happy to see that property, have all that stuff on it, and go. You know that's what? Cool. This is where we're meant to be. So. Um, a lot of really fond memories. Our 15-year reunion is next year, and I'll be providing um, honey caramels with apple cider and awesome. sea salt as a reunion gift. That's really cool. So yeah, that'll that's be fun. so cool. I'm well, looking forward to that. <laughs> I, I would be too. I think that's awesome. I, I um, and I guess the, sort of the last part or the current part of your journey mm -hmm. right now is you are navigating a career where you are on the farm. What is it most of the week, or, or what does your travel schedule look like? And give our listeners an idea of, of what your responsibilities and job look like. Yeah, today. so um, 
I am so lucky to work with such an amazing group of people um, that allow me to be able to work remotely. Um, Phil Andrews has been our CEO. The last squad is super innovative, super different, um, and has really done an amazing job, I would say, turning around the sport and our organization. Um, As a small group of us, and we just try to get a lot of work done between us, and there's a lot of trust when you allow someone to work remotely. So I, I... I'm really grateful for that trust. Yeah. Um, but I, I travel quite a bit um, for like national events or, or different conferences or things like that. Um, yeah. Teaching our level one or level two courses, you know, working with different instructors, different projects. So there's a, a fair amount of travel. It just depends on the time of year. Um, sure. But all of it is is really exciting. So working in uh, coach education, coach development, as well as sports science. So yeah. supporting our high performance team anything that is legal that will help our athletes increase their chances of getting a medal in Tokyo is something that I'm, you know, very focused on. Sure. Along with Mike Atone and Piero Stimas. So it's nice to have those people in your corner. Yeah. And then, um, you know, just trying to build up our education department, having a background in teaching and coaching and research. You kind of have like one foot in the weight room, one foot in the lab, one foot, you know, in a journal. Yeah. I think it's been really helpful for me to say like, okay, what can we do to support basically, you know, improved learning? Um, And I've got colleagues that feel similarly. So instructional design, hybrid learning, you know, that's sort of the next iteration of of trying to learn in that field and evolve and grow and what are different delivery methods and facilitation more than lecture, right? Um, So it's very gratifying to kind of continue to tinker with the best ways to equip coaches to do their jobs. Sure. Not just read a textbook. Right, tinker with the best way for coaches to do their jobs. I think that's yeah. I think that's right. And it, it may be semantics. It may be semantics. And I catch myself, so I'm not 100% perfect here. But um, I was listening to someone talk. I, I unfortunately forget who, but coach development rather than coach education. Mm-hmm. Because coach education is implying that I'm just sitting there telling you what you need to know, whereas coach development is more of a partnership. And hmm. I think coaches bring a lot to the table. And so yeah, you know, it's not just formal education where coaches mm-hmm. learn. To give people opportunities to develop outside of those sure. formal, you know, courses or whatever. Do you think those happen in stages? Like, would you, do you think there's room for coach education and then coach development once yeah. they've developed a body of experience and yeah. understanding? And again, it could just be like semantics that I'm sort of sensitive sure. to now that I'm thinking like, I don't need to just impart stuff upon you. Like you bring with, you know, your own experience and things like that, a lot that you can share. Sure. Um, and that should be acknowledged. But yeah, I mean, you have to have a certain base foundation of information from which right. you can do. But I mean, it kind of goes back to like a Bloom's taxonomy type thing where, you know, you have to have the base mm-hmm. content before you can start to analyze and apply and create, Synthesize you know, and then create, right, exactly. right, all those things. You, yeah, you yeah. have to have that. And so if you start thinking about, you know, there's so much misinformation in our field. Yeah. First, you have to say, okay, here's that information. And so maybe that level of information requires a different modality maybe. to teach. Right. But then when you get to, you know, the higher levels, like, it is going to be facilitative. It is going to be, okay, here's a case study. I, I'm a strong believer totally. in the case, case-based learning, problem-based learning, you know, I service learning. Yeah. Like, you have to get your hands dirty. You have to give people a chance to do that. You can't just talk at them. It doesn't work. Right. So. Right. That's so interesting. I wonder, i I, I got to double back on the exact order of Bloom's taxonomy, but I yeah. do think education probably fits in those lower tiers. And yeah. then all of a sudden, it's probably yeah. just, it, it's yeah. dwindling effect uh, in terms of its its effectiveness. Yeah. You have to lean into case study and, and yeah. uh, experiential learning. That makes a lot of sense. But to me, I think the biggest sort of deficiency, as I've noticed, redesigning and iterating on, on courses is there is a strong, like there's a whole field of instructional design, which I would yeah. actually love to go get another degree in instructional design. Yeah. 
um, is fascinating because there's so much about adult learning, hybrid learning, instructional design that can inform how effective we can be. And if again, if your end goal is to make people, you know, be as effective as they can be as coaches and support them that way, yeah, you should you should be following those things. It shouldn't just be like, well, you know, here's a textbook. Yeah. And we know that like reading doesn't it's not worthless. Textbooks aren't useless, right? Sure. But as far as, you know, quality of carryover and things like that, like is it gonna affect you Monday morning? Is this gonna be something right. you can, you know, digest? And because there are advances in terms of online education and the way you can deliver things, like there, there are some really cool things, yeah. sort of next frontier of how we can educate people yeah. um, that I'm really excited to dive into. What is what is one that you're like especially excited about? Virtual reality. I, I that's exactly where I went. Tell yeah. me more. Um, there is one NGB, one national governing body that is already using it. Oh wow! And it is mind-blowingly cool. They partnered with like a, a company that makes like games yeah. um, to teach people how to sail. Huh. Sailing, because when are you going to get in a boat and sail? Right. But they they actually partnered with like a VR, you know. That's cool. I forget the name of it, but like I did it. I it was super interesting. Um, but then another example would be uh, concussion protocol. There's um, a group out of Stanford. Oh my God, I gotta remember their name. Uh, her name is Pia and she's an amazing woman and she partnered, um, it's a really cool lab, but they did a concussion. It's a 12 minute long concussion video um, called Crash Course. And it's sort of their second major project out of this group. Their first major project was on HIV AIDS education, but um, basically doing virtual reality um, as sort of like an immersive learning. Um, and they did a lot of research as to what would resonate most with people. Right? Yeah. So, you know, how should they frame it? Do people want to hear from their peers? Do they want to hear from medical experts? Do they want to yeah. hear from coaches? Like, they want to hear from their teammates, you know? So there's a, a player mm. saying like, hey, you know, that's what we're doing or, you know. So they put a lot of like energy into that, but, you know, seeing the impact of it and seeing the research behind what is the most impactful way to deliver that um, in a really bizarre way, I'm fascinated by how that all works yeah the small decisions the small you know should they have numbers on their jerseys should this happen you know the pacing there's a lot of sort of subtle influences in the way that things are created like a good yep. a good teacher or a good coach they make it look effortless a good athlete it's effortless it looks yep. like oh it seems but there is so much yep. thought right into that right for right. every one minute of presentation it's an hour of prep you know like, right the people that really have that flawless whatever, I mean, there is a lot that goes into it. And the way that we have structured learning is just not good. Yeah. There's a lot of room to grow. But the VR stuff is pretty amazing. Yeah. I totally agree. I, I don't know where we are with, like, the quality of that technology, but there's no doubt that that's the next step in coaching education. I think about this all the time. Like, I rely sort of... So we're lucky at Nutria to have a, um, we have six part-time coaches at Nutria. We have so many For students and to serve. Yeah. Oh, wow. We have so many students. That's I mean, awesome. We have, a mat, we have more than 2,000 weekly visits. We have yeah. uh, But there's like, what, like 5,000 total people? It's a big high About 4,100. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and that's actually only from the and, athletics side. There's oh, also okay. four uh, kinetic wellness teachers that we also have to yeah. sort of serve and, and, and develop and in. Wow. And, and, Kinetic I mean, they're, they're professionals already, but uh, yeah, <laughs> PE teachers, I know. Kinetic wellness, yes, that what was a, always quite what funny. What a funny term. The, um, but, I, but I always, like, when we describe it, I'm like, I find myself drawing pictures. I'm describing a situation. I'm trying to paint a picture. Yeah. If this happens, then check this. And, you know, yeah. um, where I'm like, it, VR, 
Yeah. You know, uh, the, what a cool thing that could set up. It is cool. I, uh, I'm going to share this with you just because I think it's interesting. But I'm imagining what VR, a VR training session for the weight room could look like from, from yeah. the, our perspective. And I'm like, we have this term, uh, we stole it from Navy pilots, scan for deltas. And uh, it comes from the cockpit. Like there's so many things going on at one time mm-hmm. that you cannot be fully in tune with any one of those dials yeah. or switches or whatever. Yeah. But as you, but you, what you do is you get an idea of how it should look. And this is this is what good practice looks like to extend the I metaphor. Like it. I and like then, it. And and what you're what you're doing is you're scanning for what's off. Yeah. And once once something's off, then you then you dial in. Yeah. Why is this? Why is this switch? This whatever. You get the idea. And I'm wondering if there could be a virtual reality situation where there's uh, eight to ten racks and there's stuff going on, on the floor and there's all yeah. this going on, yeah. and you're just sort of in, immersed yeah. and scanning for deltas. And then you got to boom, pick one. Yeah. And then maybe this the, the coach education yeah. part is in, in what's wrong with it? How do you fix yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. And you can have like decision-based scenarios within VR. Yeah. So you're like, okay, what would you do here? And you can like you know click one button for this and one button for the other and then yeah. it like a it's a choose your own adventure i guess is what yeah, i mean to say totally um and it's i amazing. can do i can do that now but you just can? not in vr right okay. i mean like sure sure i, I sure. could if i said it like it exists right. but i'm saying i can facilitate that experience mm-hmm. but i think it'd be even more impactful in vr right which, right you know i think i think that's definitely <laughs> the future um you know the khan academy right yeah okay so that's the other thing that i think would be really interesting and really cool to sort of have the concept of like, okay, here's a concept map of like what you need and then let's build it out. Mm-hmm. So that's another kind of like, that would I be love a, that idea. a cool, you know, I like the, have you read his book, One World Schoolhouse? No. It's a little bit like utopian, you know, about like what education can be. Yeah. But the things I really like about that book are the archaic way that we set up the school day Mm-hmm. And how like ridiculous it is! Like, why do we have oh, bells? Why, why do we have? Why do we have like fifty minute periods? Like, yeah. wait, it's just like holdovers. It's like that. It's almost like in coaching. Like, why do we do it this way? Because that's yeah. the way it's always been done, you know. And, and no one's actually like put any thought into like, well, what if we just did it differently, you know? Because why do we do it this way? And they yeah. can't justify it. And then they're like, well, whatever. So it's an interesting history of the way in which school days are set up yeah. and the ways in which they're ineffective and just sort of like vestiges of older times. No doubt. Yeah. That is, um, I, I, I don't want to cut you off at all, no, but, ahead, but that ahead. just really strikes a chord with me mm-hmm. because I'm, we, you saw it today a little, a little bit. We touched on the, the higher order performance framework and how physiology is at the base level, eat, move, sleep. Yeah. yeah and yeah, yeah. how the school day almost yeah. absolutely universally <laughs> yeah. uh, degrades that yes, for people. For sure. uh, the average, like the CDC and the National Sleep Foundation yeah, yeah. recommend school start times yeah. uh, no nine earlier o'clock. than 8.35 yeah, is, yeah. is no earlier, but yeah. 9 o'clock is probably more ideal. And the average start time for the U.S. is, is eight. Yeah. They, people just aren't listening. Average, yeah. of course, yeah. it's the mean, meaning half the people are before that, eight yeah. or before. Yeah. So that's a problem. Uh, you're in a desk for, yeah. mo- in many times, eight yeah. continuous hours. Depending yeah. on the size of the school, you might only travel a yeah. hundred yards to yeah. base, you know, over the to get from class to class. It's a freaking and then vending machines full of garbage. I took a picture of a vending machine recently and sent it to the superintendent of a very high-powered school and with the question, does your behavior match your goal? <laughs> no, and look, and, and, and I- That's no, bold. I, I sometimes am bold. bold. When, when you're driven by what you, what you like really think Own is- Because I'm like, look, we ha- I, that's, that's what it was. I, and, and I did not do it in a disrespectful way. I don't want to like paint that picture of myself, but I was like, 
look, we, we have to make the choice. Do, are we filling vending yeah. machines with the with the highest margin product? Yeah, 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 are yeah. Really, do we do we depend on this income? If so, okay. Yeah. Let's let, let's fine. Yeah. But if we are trying to fill these things with thing with, with the sort of items yeah. that uh, match up to the curriculum we are teaching in terms yeah. of best practice and nutrition yeah. and wellness, yeah. then our behavior does not match our goal and we need to confront yeah. that. Yeah. So what's our aim here? Yeah. And is this literally this refrigerator full of garbage? Uh, is, is it helping us? Did you get it? a response? Of course. Yeah, yeah. What was the response? The response is uh, another good depth in de- in depth conversation is needed. And, and we had that. So, so huh. we're, uh, well, that's we're, good. And, and now there's some reimagining going on. That's awesome. I, I, yeah, for sure. And I think, and, and I really do want to make sure that it's clear that I didn't just like knock the door <laughs> down and say, this you, is what's going to look like. You football players are so disrespectful. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's terrible. Uh, no, it was just, it was just a, well, I saw this. Can yeah. we, can we have a discussion about it? You know, when you were saying that, it just sort of reminded me when the default choice is the bad one to make, yeah. it's very difficult to make good decisions. Yeah. And so it's not to put the blame on the vending machine for people making bad decisions, no. but look, you know, if, you need something at that moment and that's what's available to you. Like that's what's right. going to happen. And so, you know, obviously you probably could tell that I'm passionate about food yeah. and spend like all of my free time making and producing and eating food. We need some of these organic uh, honey caramels yeah, in the vending machines. I love it. Creamed, you know, organic Just, yeah. raw honey, you know, whatever. We, we can invest. Yeah. I was on the website I, as you guys were talking, Circle Valley Farms. <laughs> yeah. And we can buy an eighth of a beehive. Uh, it's, it's a hive share, yeah. A hive share. share. So if you don't want to stick your hand into a beehive full of bees, yeah. but you want to support bees because you believe they're important yeah. and you want some honey, you can buy like a hive share. So, yeah. um, you know, it's kind of like a CSA type model. So you, you know, buy a share of our hive and we give you a share of the honey. Cool. It's um, actually really cool. Yeah. And so. On top of that, I get a chance to educate people about bees, which I think are yeah, so cool. Yeah, yeah. So like March, April, May, whatever, I'll give you like a seasonal update. And so then you can learn about, you know, what are the bees up to? Did they swarm again? Did I get Ooh. stung? Did yeah. I, you know, whatever. So was I eight months pregnant and moving hundreds of pounds of honey supers and extracting them in a hot garage? Um, that's amazing. Yes. You know, dumb things. But yes. <laughs> awesome things. I, I um, what if I want to sponsor this eighth of a, a beehive but i do want to stick my hand in it also we have um shareholder shareholder, visit? shareholder visitor days yeah actually you can come yeah absolutely tell me i'm wrong Alex, it's on the website research. Yes. You can do that. in the faqs <laughs> shareholder visitor days That's i don't have the liability really to be like just stop by whenever but um sure. I'll, I'll lend you a suit and you can you know That's cool. hang out but very cool before i got sidetracked by bees um <laughs> if the default decision in your environment yeah is the wrong choice it is exponentially harder to make good choices. Without a doubt. And obviously a lot of people's environments, they're not always in control of them, but mm-hmm. you know, they're set up in ways that are, you know, detrimental to being able to make good decisions. You can't always fault the person, yeah. you know, but you do have to reimagine environments uh, in a way that's gonna be successful. So you could look at that as like a locker room, like your physical yeah. environment. Uh, you could look at that as, you know, the landscape of vending machines and your and your thing or, you know, nap pods for sleeping or whatever. But I think people forget how much the actual physical built landscape yeah. can influence decisions. And there's a lot of really good information 
I'm also really interested in behavioral economics, which is kind of, it goes into that, but yeah. why do people make self-defeating decisions or why yeah. do people make certain decisions or what, what factors influence those things? And there's a lot of really interesting research, like food psychology wise, on like, okay, well, if there's only brown M&Ms, you eat fewer because, you know, there's less things to eat. Or, you know, if you don't clear the refuse of the, the wings that you ate, you um, will eat fewer because you have a concept of what you just ate. You know, just kind of yeah. really subtle, sure. subtle sure. things. So vending machine, vending machine isn't like, subtle it's a vending machine right you know but certain you know small things in your built environment that can totally. really influence behavior yeah um it's really kind of an interesting thing to think about where we could maybe compel without them realizing yep. uh people into making better decisions without a doubt and, and when i think of the vending machines sometimes i will first of all it's a real problem because there's no <laughs> access to good food it's fully stocked with garbage yeah. that's the truth yeah. but even if it weren't um correct me if I'm wrong here, but the placement, like if, if something is at eye level, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a very yeah, deliberate yeah. sort of, yeah. um, but you're, you're right. That's interesting. Um, how is the environment of the farm influenced the way that you sort of go about your day and live your life? It's, is it kind of essential to who you are? Now? Yes. Yeah. I have to be around like green space. In Colorado, we had mountains. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, every day in the summer when I wasn't, you know, a nine month contract for a teacher. Right. Um, I would go out and hike in Crested Butte. I'd go out and be outside. Um, there's lots of good literature on, you know, forest bathing um, and, you know, whatever the Japanese concept of being out in nature. It's called forest bathing. I'm not, like, running yeah. through the forest nude. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but time in nature influencing, basically, you know, your quality of life. Yeah. And, you know, I could look at, like, strip malls in suburbia or I could look out, you know, into my backyard of, you know, green and surrounded by farms and, yeah. and you know cows and the like um i'm just much happier that way totally much happier that way and flying over whenever i fly home and i fly over and you're you're between the blue ridge and the appalachian mountains and you just fly over and you see all these like green hills and farms it's just like it's so happy yeah and it's not to you know say i don't enjoy visiting big cities and i couldn't sure. imagine myself being happy in one it's just i'd have to be around green space yeah. um i could swap out mountains you know chicago doesn't have mountains or whatever i could swap out you know mountains for lakes or forests or whatever but just spending time outside super important and yeah. i will definitely not be happy unless i am outside so i invested a lot of money into a baby carrier like a really oh, nice. nice osprey baby sure. carrier um at, at the uh you know recommendation of some of my friends the kids in like jackson wyoming so they like really use them um and I will go hiking on the weekends with another uh, friend of mine who's got a, a small baby and our two kids are like best friends and we're out, you know, hiking the AT for, you know, five hours and that's so cool. Letting our kids run around and I hope that my kid also gets to run around and enjoy nature because, you know, you have two options. You can have a room full of toys, you can have a basement full of toys, you can just live among like plastic toys. Yeah. Or you could, you know, set them loose on the farm or yeah. set them loose. I taught my daughter how to my husband sent me a video yesterday of um he handed her a stick and said put this on the put this on the pile diana we were cleaning up all the sticks that had come sure. down in a last storm so she put it on the pile we're teaching her teaching her farm tour she was go. just as happy you know playing with sticks and sure licking rocks from the neighbors <laughs> licking rocks there we have the go. cleanest rocks in all oh, of i believe you i've heard that this. that child is a uh you know yes very productive but yeah i think being outside is really important and yeah. i would be very miserable if i was yeah. cooped up inside and I don't think it's just me I mean it's just restorative being outside so. totally well that's a that's a good uh, element of self-awareness and it's very cool that USAW sort of allowed you that um, flexibility yes I am very grateful for that so well, listen I'm sure they're grateful for you also <laughs> by the way 
Yeah, I mean, I just... I am really, really lucky that I get to do what I get to do because I love doing it. And so that yeah. goes back to me having a hard time being like, it's nine o'clock at night. I shouldn't look at this. Cause I do, yeah. I really want you to, actually want, right. I really genuinely want to, but it's totally. also not fair to my family, but you know, maternity leave, we're not going to like, you know, have this big discussion on that, but I was afforded the opportunity to sort of, um, have a little bit more say as to how I transitioned back with a little bit of planning and yeah. to have someone say like you tell me what time you need yeah was probably the biggest gift that someone could have That's given awesome. me so yeah. i was able to just not stress out about that and so many people have to could we highlight who allowed you that freedom phil andrews yeah yeah our ceo okay, course, he, yeah. he's british yeah um he hired me pregnant yep so he knew this was he did, not, he did not know i was pregnant when i interviewed oh, okay never mind when i was offered the position the first thing i said was I, I need to tell you I'm pregnant. Yeah. And his response was, high five, congratulations, that's wonderful. Awesome. It's quite stressful for me. Sure. Um, and he said, well, let me know what kind of time you need. Yeah. So well, what do you mean? He goes, well, what, it's like six months? And I was like, we're not in Britain. He's British. I was like, yeah. we're, not, we're not in the UK, Bill. It's not like yeah. six months paid leave. Yes, but I accept. <laughs> and, and he was like, well, just, just let me know. I'm like, yeah. are, you, are you serious? So I, you know came back after just a couple weeks like part-time you know Tokyo doesn't wait because I had a kid right sure um but I was able to kind of work a little bit and work yeah. on getting back to full-time and you know that's a, a kindness that made a really big difference totally. in my life yeah I've, what and isn't it interesting that like affording that kindness really to the right person probably got them a higher return so if you don't believe in this just from the ethical standpoint yeah. like yeah, it yeah. probably got them a higher return because you being who you are want to sort of put a foot in and, and, and the accumulation of those yeah. whatever hour a day or whatever it was for the you know the, that time that you would have otherwise been fully away yeah probably worked out best for everyone yeah. and you know everyone's bought in I mean if you're going to work at an organization that's an NGB you know it's it's you, you've got to be driven by what the end goal is what, right totally you know you've got to be concerned about growing the sport of weightlifting you know, getting medals, developing people, developing coaches. And if you're yeah. not, you know, you're not going to last very long. Right. Um, it's a wrong job. It's a wrong job. Yeah. So it's cool to work with people that kind of have that shared purpose. Yeah. You're like, that's what we're here to do. Like Mike Catone is our high performance, you know, director and, and, you know, my boss in coach education. Like he was yeah. put on this earth to coach weightlifting. Like really? that is yeah. his, yeah. he's phenomenal. And that is what, you know, he does. And it's so apparent to everyone who meets him. Um, he's up in, um, Gray's Lake. Yep, that's right. Gym, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just so cool. It's it's a real luxury to get to work with people like that who you're not like, oh, this is a stepping stone or, oh, you're going to leave, whatever. Like, they are all in. Yeah. It's fun. It's I nice. love that. Do you need business cards? Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them is up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards, they do wedding cards. They help you, they help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at mightyprint.com. That's M-I-T-E print, P-R-I-N-T dot com. And on Instagram, same thing, at mightyprint, M-I-T-E print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.